Would you open up in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11? The story of a man who was living in Phoenix at the time, and he was on his way to work, and he stopped at a Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru, and he asked the woman at the, at the window, I'll have three donuts, three cake donuts, and a coffee. And she started mumbling something, and he could not understand what she was saying because the window at the drive-thru was closed, and he was getting really irritated because this person would not open the window at the drive-thru so that he could hear what she was saying. And so he said again, I'll have three cake donuts and a coffee, but louder and a little irritated. And still the woman just mumbled something. He could not hear what she was saying because the drive-thru window was closed. And so he said, you know, I'm getting really irritated. I'm about ready to put my face inside that drive-thru window so I can put my order in. And so he, he was about ready to do that. And he, he tried one more time. He said it real loud. I'll have three cake donuts and a coffee. And still she just mumbled something on the inside. And so finally he decided to do that. And he stuck his head out the car window to, to, to put his face inside her window so he could say it. And he ran into his own window. He forgot to put his window down when he was ordering. How stupid do you think he felt? <laughs> How many times, though, have we been in prayer and we feel like there's a block? That there's a block. I'm, praying, I'm saying all the stuff I'm supposed to be saying, but it's not getting through. It's not getting through. We've been on this series. Now, we've been on this series for a long time. This is about the longest we've ever been on one series. But as we've been going over this one series, we have hit a lot of different topics. So it's not like we've been on any topic for any long, long period of time. A couple of weeks for each one, sometimes five or six. But we were just finished up looking at the part about asking in prayer and the things we are to ask in prayer, that many times we're asking things in prayer we should not be asking. We're asking for things that we should be speaking to. Or we're asking for things just because it's a whim. I'm just thinking maybe I ought to ask this. But we don't really know. And so we spent some time to go through the Word of God on both series, both on Wednesday nights and on Sundays. We were looking at the things that we ought to be asking for in prayer. And we saw what was in the Word of God to be asked for. And spent some time looking at what are we to be asking for. Because a lot of times we spend our time asking for God, oh God, you know, bless so-and-so. Oh God, I need this. Oh God, I need, oh God, this. And we're going over all these different things. Oh God, oh God, I need this, I need that. And we found out in the Word of God that there wasn't a whole lot of asking for things for themselves. They were asking for a harvest. They were asking for souls. They were asking for boldness. They were asking for all sorts of stuff. We need to get our script, or our, ourselves lined up with asking God for the right things. As we were going through that, we also looked at the fact that we don't need to spend hours in prayer asking things. That really, when you ask something in, for, in prayer, it, it can be quick. Because you do not have to convince God to do the thing. That's not what we're, we're not praying to convince God to give us the thing. We're praying His Word, knowing what His Word has promised us. And since it's already His will, we just ask God. He said, oh, that's all I need was an open door. Good, they gave me the open door. Now here it comes. Daniel, when he asked, we went over this. Daniel, when he asked for revelation on the thing, as soon as he asked, when did God send it? Immediately, as soon as he asked it, we got to stop getting this idea that, well, I got to talk God into sending it into me, because sometimes we're wasting a whole lot of time praying, talking God into something, and God just sits up there. I think sometimes, I don't know, I'll find out when I get there. Maybe he's just laughing at us. Why in the world are they wasting time doing all this sort of stuff? Do your kids ever come to you and waste your time? And that just blesses you, doesn't it? Just wasting your time asking for things you already said you do, or, or you already said you wouldn't do. 
or whatever it might be. You don't want that either, do you? Why do you think that in prayer? So you may spend an hour, two hours, three hours in prayer, but was it effective? The Word of God tells us the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We want to make our prayers effective. We need to be effective. Well, as we were looking at this verse, let's go back here, Mark 11, 24, 26. This has been our main text for the thing, but of course we have been all over the place beside this. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, he's already taught on the speaking, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. We spent time looking at that aspect that if you ask God for something in prayer, don't go around talking like you didn't get it. That's not believing that you received it. Believing that you received it when you ask for it in prayer is to, I got it. I asked for God. I got it. God said he, God wanted to do it. God wanted to give me wisdom. I needed wisdom. I've got that wisdom. We've used the example before that if you have a situation at home, you have a situation at work and you need wisdom on what to do, then you, what's, what's the Word of God tell you to do? Hope and pray something will happen. No, ask God and He'll give wisdom liberally. He'll give it. He will give it to you. Glory to God, it's for you. So once you have the wisdom, you've asked for God, what should you do the next day? And somebody comes up to you and says, what are you going to do about that? Oh, I don't know. It kept me up all last night. I really don't know what I'm going to do about it. I I asked God about it. I hope he sends me the answer soon. Is that right? No, I don't believe I've received the thing. I just believe that God and I had a conversation. But I don't believe I've received anything. So maybe I should go and do the other thing that charismatic sometimes are guilty of doing. Yep, I got it. I got it. What's, well, what's the answer? I don't know. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You don't need to do that. What do you need to do? I prayed and asked God for wisdom, and I believe I have it. Well, how are you going to do that? I don't know. I don't need to know apparently right now. As soon as I need to make a decision, I'm going to know exactly what to do. Because I prayed and I believed that what I asked for, I got Believe that you receive them and you will, future tense, have them. All right, not going to keep going over all the stuff from before. Let's get into verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Now, it has been taught to us, and I've taught you as as well, as well as it's been taught to, to us, that every time that Jesus taught on hindrances to prayer, this is what he teaches. Whenever he talks about a hindrance to prayer, this is what he teaches. So if, if there are, how many times have we found other hindrances to prayer? But Jesus never taught on them. So what do you think the number one cause of unanswered prayer is? Unforgiveness. I mean, why would Jesus minister on number 10 all the time? If you're going to minister on something, I mean, if there are other causes of unanswered prayer... And there can be, you know, certainly a lack of faith, but he's already addressed faith. He's already said, you know, believing. If you ask, believing. When you speak, no doubt. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone. Now, stand praying, that doesn't just include asking. When you pray, you're not always asking. I hope not, anyway. Prayer should be a lot more than that. Paul taught us, as we were going over the Wednesday night series, Paul taught us in Ephesians, praying always with all prayer and supplication. There's all kinds of prayers we ought to be praying. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Well, we need to get into this thing of forgiveness. So I was meditating. I knew this was the next and the final section 
of this uh, teaching that we've been doing on this series, there's something else already brewing that we need to get into. And I'm already getting excited about that one. <laughs> and so it's kind of tough to stay on this one. But, no, but I knew we had to, this was the final part. I knew from the beginning this would be the end. This would be the last part we would have to get into for this because hindrances are important. But what causes, as I ask this question, what causes us to have anything against anyone? Now, how many times have you had a problem at home? You know, how many have ever had water coming in at home? Yeah, we've had that problem, right? Now, water coming in causes all kinds of issues. If you have water coming in the basement, it can, you know, if you have it finished, well, there's carpet, there's drywall issues. If it's not finished, well, then there's, there's stuff on the floor. You know, there's issues that come in with water coming in the house. Have it a leaky faucet. I've had that one before. A garbage disposal. It's not working. Dishwasher broke. You know, we can have all kinds of things that go on. We see the end result, but we, have, we always ask ourselves this question. What caused it? What is the cause? What is the cause of that water coming in? Because if I do not take care of the cause, then I'm going to keep on getting the other results, right? So when he says, if you have anything against anyone... Forgive him. So my question was this. If this is the problem that keeps us from having answered prayer, that hinders us in prayer, what is the cause? Now, some of you are sitting there saying, well, what do you mean what's the cause? It's having something against somebody. No, what causes you to have something against another person? Or as the, the phrase here, what causes us to have anything against anyone? How many of you know an anyone? We all, we all know anyone, don't we? We got anyone's all over. We got anyone's that are relatives. We got anyone's that are neighbors. We got anyone's that are coworkers. We got anyone's that are anyone's we wish we didn't know. We have anyone's all over the place. There are all kinds of anyone's. And how many of you all know that throughout your lifetime you have had something against an anyone? And that's a hindrance for you. That's a problem for you. So if we're going to apply the same kind of thing. You know, if we have water coming in, we don't want to keep fixing the result of the water because, you know, that's a problem. We want to fix the cause. How did the water get into the house? Can we take care of that? Now, we see, we have a house that uh, we moved into it. We learned right off the bat that our sump pump, when it rains, runs. I am not exaggerating. When it rains, our sump pump turns on every five minutes. Sometimes more often than that. It just keeps running. Now, when does it rain? When there's a storm outside. When does the power usually go out? When there's a storm outside. So we came to our conclusion. We were real wise on this part. I mean, just smart people. It came to, we, it came to our smartness that, well, if it's, power goes out when it storms... And it's raining when it storms and water comes into the house when it storms and the sump pump needs to run to get the water out of the house. We better have a way to get the sump pump to run when the power's not on. Doesn't that make sense to you? So we bought, I mean, right after we got this house, we heard this thing going. I went out to Home Depot and we got, how many of you have ever run a sump pump on a generator? You cannot run a sump pump on any generator. It has to be a big boy generator because the sump pump has what they call a surge and the generator has to cover the surge. If it doesn't cover the surge, 
They ain't going to run it. So you got to cover the surge. So we went out and we got a big boy generator. We got one. It is so powerful. I can run my house, my neighbor's house, and the other neighbor's house. Whenever the power goes out, you know what they all do? They bring a power cord over to my house. I call them up and tell them that the power's out. Bring a power cord over. I got power. <laughs> we got power. Well, when the power goes out at our house, we have the fish tanks running because I have a, 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 a saltwater tank. And you cannot let them not have power. They must have power or they die. So we have that one going. And uh, we'll have the sump pump going. We, have, we power the refrigerator. We power the freezer. We power the neighbor's freezer and refrigerator. We power the other neighbor's freezer and refrigerator. We power the one, neighbor, the one other neighbor has a sump pump. We power his sump pump. And we turn on the Internet and the TV. <laughs> and we got it all going. And last night it was cold. We could even run the fan on the fireplace and our house was warm. Power out, no big deal. We had an internet going. We could Facebook people, put up there some stuff on there about tomorrow for church. <laughs> we had fun on, on there, just going around doing, doing stuff. But, you know, we got ready for that because we knew here's the thing. So what do we do to prevent the problem? Let's get to the cause. The cause of water coming in is power being out to the sump pump. So let's take care of that. You know what? We, we had that generator for years and never used it. It just sat there. Powerful generator. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. And it just sat there and did nothing. Now this year, it's been busy. We've had to power out a number of times. <laughs> we kept things going. But you know, it's a whole lot better to take care of the cause because the power goes out. We don't, it don't matter. You know, when that, when that big storm is coming through over the summer, I heard from Home Depot, because I'm, I'm in with some of the guys because of the bunk beds and stuff that we do. And they told me we were out of generators three days before the storm hit. Out. All of them. Lowe's, Home Depot, all the ones in the air, gone. They're all gone. I said, that's all right. I got one. I'm ready. My, both my neighbors went out to try and get one, and they could not get one. It's all right. I had one. Take care of the cause. We've got to find out what the root cause. So this is what I asked the Father. I said, what is the cause? Now, as I was meditating, notice I came up with three causes. By the time we finish this, maybe it's, it expands. I don't think so, but you never know. You know, revelation just comes to you. It's not something you think, of, think it out. And so I got three causes here. We're going to get into one this week, and then the, each of the following weeks, we're going to get into another one. But here's the story I was given for this particular one. Go over to 1 Samuel, chapter 1. 1 Samuel, chapter 1. Now, there was a certain man... Aramathium Zophin of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, the son of Eluha, the son of Tahu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. Why can't everybody be in this story be named Hannah? You know, I mean, you look at the names in this thing, and, and we got Hannah. I like Hannah. The name of the two wives. One was Hannah, and the other was that. Peninnah, something like that. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. You feeling sorry for Hannah? This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah... He would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. I'm sure that didn't cause any problems in the household. 
although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Now, you can get kind of a feel what's going on in the house here. Now, first off, we know that having two wives is not a good thing. It's not a godly thing. It's not something God ever said that should happen. He did it, and there's problems in the house. But anyway, we'll get past that one. We got uh, uh, one wife who's picking on the other wife. Anybody ever been picked on? Not fun. It's not a nice thing. But she was... Let's read it again. And her rival... Boy, how do you like that when a wife is called a rival? You, didn't that just tell you some things? We got a game coming up tonight. Anybody going to watch some football tonight? I heard that there's two rivals playing. The Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys, when they get together, they are rivals. They do not like each other. Philadelphia fans don't like Dallas. Dallas fans don't like Philadelphia. It's just one of those things that, that happens, I guess. I still, I still like Dallas Cowboys fans. They're still okay people. Just misguided. <laughs> but, you know, you have that rivalry that comes up. And when you have a rivalry between fans of football or baseball teams or whatever it might be, what happens between the fans? If I see, if I'm a Philadelphia, not me personally, but other Philadelphia fans, if they see someone show up at the stadium with a Dallas Cowboys shirt on, they instantly do what? Provoke. Call names. They don't even know the person. They may even enjoy that person and may even like that person if they had a conversation with them, but because they're wearing a Dallas Cowboy t-shirt, provoking goes on. They are rivals. So that's the setting I want you to understand here with Hannah. Hannah is the, the rival. It's like wearing a Dallas Cowboy shirt in the Philadelphia Eagles stadium. And her rival just pokes at her because I got kids. You don't have any. I got kids. Na, 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 na. You don't got none. I got them. And she just makes her feel miserable so much so that by the time she gets down here to this, she won't eat. Now, does Peniah have something against Hannah? Yeah. You're, my husband loves you and not me. She's got something against her. She doesn't like the fact that her husband doesn't love her like the love of Hannah. And she's sitting there trying to figure, but I got kids. You remember this happened before in the Word of God? Were they, were they not Abraham, um, Jacob. You know, the, the wives were contending. Well, he'll love me because I'll give him more kids. And so they have more and more and more. And now my husband will love me. In fact, one of the kids was even named that. Now, named after that. Now my husband will love me. Now it'll be good. I think that was Judah, wasn't it? I think it was named praise because, all right, now we finally got there. Now I got four boys. He's going to love me now. So they're competing. They're, they're, they're provoking. Hannah has the love of the husband. Peniah wants that. Hannah wants kids. Peniah has the kids. We're, we're battling. We're, 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 we're fighting on this. So there's something against someone. How did that occur? How is it that Paniah had something against Hannah? And how did Hannah get something against Paniah? Because each of the other persons had something that they wanted. 
They had something that they wanted. They became envious of the other situation. Now, here's the thing. When you become envious of a situation, it doesn't stop there. The Word of God says what about envy? Don't have it. Don't do it. Don't pick it up. Stay out of it. That's why we warn you all the time about the media when they're always out there trying to get you to envy the rich people, to envy the uh, whatever people. They're always out there, these people aren't doing this and these people aren't doing that and get mad at them, get mad at corporations and get mad. Stop it. Don't, don't ever fall into that. We've exhorted you enough on that. Stay out of the envy. Don't ever envy the rich people. Glory to God. You, you could be one of them. Don't ever get into that place of envy. But this is where they are. They each have something. So when you get that envy that comes on the inside, there is always something that comes along with it. I have never seen it not to come along. And here it is. She has become prideful about her condition over that of another. We become prideful. So if I don't have the love of the husband that I desire, I want to have that love of the husband. I desire to have that. So therefore I become prideful about what I do have. I am envious for what I don't have, but on the flip side of that, I have pride about what I do. Well, I got all these kids. You got none. That is a wrong place to be. And the Word of God says that will cause you to have something against another one. And Paniah had something against Hannah. Well, Hannah, what does she have? The love of the husband. Now, the Word of God doesn't get into this part of it, and I don't know that it happened. We may have to wait till we get up to heaven to find out. But if you're Hannah, and you keep getting all this ribbing about not having any kids, what do you think is going to come out of your mouth if you give in envy and pride? Well, my husband loves me. <laughs> he gave me a double portion. Every time we come down here, I get a double portion. What did you get? How much did you have? Look at what I have. So we become prideful about what I have, even though we are envious about what the others have. I want what they have. That is a bad place to be in. Don't ever let the news media put you in there. Don't ever let the enemy put you in there. Don't ever let other people put you in that place. No one can put you there but you. They can lead you in, but you don't have to go. You simply say, no, I don't care. Somebody comes up with a new phone. And you got the old phone. I want the new phone. I'm envious of the new phone. So I start picking on that one. Why? Because I got the new phone. I want that new phone. So what? Does your phone still work? Glory to God. Thank God you got one. That works. So pride is our first cause. Let's pick up at verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better you to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Now how good is this prayer? Now see, we read over this story a whole lot of times. We said, well, why doesn't God answer Hannah's prayer? I mean, look at poor Hannah. She's being picked on. She don't have any kids. She just wants some kids. But look, it says she's in bitterness of soul. How did she get there? Because she has something against another person. The Word of God says if you have anything against anyone. It doesn't say whether it's justified. Could care less whether it's justified. I don't care if you've got a right to. Because glory to God, folks, we do not. If you all want to sit there and say, well, I don't deserve, you don't get what you deserve. 
What do we deserve? We deserve hell. <laughs> We're not getting it, but we deserve it. Thank God for the mercy of God. What we have, folks, is by the mercy of God. Be glad for what you got. Glory to God. Look what Hannah should be able to say. I got a husband who loves me. I got a double portion. I got a house. She's not looking at the things that she has. She's over here looking at. And so she comes in the prayer, bitterness of soul, and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Do you sense faith there? No. Going to, a lot of, going to God like a lot of people go to God in prayer. Oh, God, I need this so bad. Oh, please, will you? <clears throat> Come on. Let's be in faith. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. Oh, boy, bartering. You know, <laughs> if, God, if you'll just remember me, if you just remember that I'm down here. Oh, and look at my situation. Oh, if you just give me a boy, I'll give him back to you. Why do you want it to begin with? We're always trying to make good deals for God, right? <laughs> See, the problem is that sometimes we get the thing. How many have ever had that? They were making a deal for God and all of a sudden the thing popped up. Oh, God must have answered. He must have liked that deal. And people come out with doctrines on this. If you'll do it this way, because it worked for me. I don't care if it bloody worked for you or not. If it's not in the Word of God, it's not the way you should go. Too many times people want to say, well, it worked. So, I know people that have fixed things in their house electrically, and it worked. But dear Lord, I'm not living in that house. <laughs> we, one of the houses that we had was my wife's grandfather. He was an electrician. Now, if you were an electrician, you can do things that others probably wouldn't try and do. And things were done in this house. And I'm sure it made perfect sense to him. Perfect sense. But it's really weird when a outlet on a, or a whole, a whole yeah, it's just a, a particular outlet on a circuit when the fuse was blown worked. That can scare you. I'm looking at that. I remember looking at it. That should not work. It should not be on right now, but it is. <laughs> Why? How is it? <laughs> I didn't know. I mean, how can you cut off power to an outlet and it be there? So we had to bring in somebody to try and figure out what it was. We had somebody at church who was electrician. He looked at it and says, man, this is beyond me. I do not know how that thing is working. And we were kind of thinking, I, I don't, I'm not sure if we actually fixed it or if we just kind of, well, you know what? It's working. Close the door. <laughs> we may have just done something like that. I'm not positive. But it, was, it got to a point, I think it developed enough, that when we did fix the breaker, or the, whatever it was, and it was working again, that everything else on that circle was working except for that outlet. Now that one was turned off. And if you throw the switch, it's back on again. It's just, it was spooky. I don't know what happened with it. You know, I, I can tinker with electric, electric stuff, but not, uh, nothing like that. Just because the thing works, folks, doesn't mean it's good. Find out what the Word of God said. Sometimes we get a thing because, you know, it's the compassion of God. We told you before in the Word of God, Jesus healed for three reasons. One was compassion. He had compassion on the multitude and healed them. Another one was, he said, your faith healed you. 
And the third one was sometimes faith and compassion were mixed. But if your faith is working, you don't need the compassion of God. If your faith isn't working, sometimes the compassion of God comes up and makes up for it. But how much better to be in a place where your faith is accessed it? Because Jesus was impressed with people who were in faith. How many times did he say, woman, great is your faith. Wow. Centurion, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. Man, that's good. Better to be in a place of faith. So she's over here bartering and all this sort of stuff. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord. Verse 12. See, most times when we're out there not in faith, complaining and murmuring and just, you know, making excuses and bartering before we just go on and on. Go on and on. And she's probably going on and on. Before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. This is a real spiritual guy here. That's your first thing? That's the first thing you think when you see somebody in there praying? Down on it, when their lips are moving, you think they're drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Out of the abundance of what? Oh, do you hear the faith? <laughs> out of my abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked for him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and, and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Now, she does this every year, and every year it hasn't worked. This year it changed. She got the attention of the high priest. And the high priest said, Grant your request. That's the only thing that was different. She complained to God the same way this year as yet other years. And one came back the same way before, barren. But this time, the priest of God, now he wasn't the best of priests of God, but uh, he's still a high priest. And he said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant you a petition, which you have asked of him. That's the only thing we have that's different. Too many times, folks, we focus on the petitioning and the pouring out of the heart of Hannah. But the only thing that is different is the presence of Eli and what he said. Because what he's saying is, there's no hope and, and, and wonderment about him. He said, go in peace. Let God do it. He seems like he's got some faith there for it. Eli had some good parts. He had some bad parts, too. He eventually dies in not a good way. So, is it possible that both victim and culprit are both in pride? Absolutely. Just because you're a victim doesn't mean you're not in pride. And just because you're the perpetrator doesn't mean that you're not in pride. Both can be in pride. And both are. Let's look at the end results here. Verse 19. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel. Now, you just think about this. Samuel, good guy or bad guy in history? Pretty good guy, isn't he? Pretty powerful guy. Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice in his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. She said, I'm not ready to give him up yet. I'm going to have him for a little while. <laughs> I asked God for this. I know I'm going to give him back, but I'm going to keep him for a little bit. So he's not quite ready yet. I don't know if he actually was ready or if he was weaned a little later than the other children. 
We don't know. But anyway, he did that. And he uh, uh, Verse uh, 20, 23. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. So the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one half of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by stood by you here, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore I have also lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshipped the Lord there. So she was a woman of her word. And she did the thing that, that she was supposed to do, or said, said that she would do. Now, don't think that God meant that that had to happen. That's not why she got it. I think she got it because Eli was there and he got faith involved in the thing and then something changed. That anointing from the high priest office came in and changed some things. But see, we, we, just, we can come out of a story with whatever we want to. But she was in a place that was a wrong place. And as long as she kept coming to God, every year coming to God, pouring out her heart, not eating, not drinking, nothing changed. Pride is, an, is, is a problem. And whether you are the victim in pride or whether you are the perpetrator in pride. It's a problem. We're going to find out where that's a problem, but let's keep on going here in chapter 2, verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Why is she happy? She got what she wanted. <laughs> she got what she wanted. There's a, a, a lady who, uh, she taught Bible, Bible schools and she had straight hair. How many of you women have had straight hair. And you've ever noticed that the women with the straight hair, they want curly hair. And the women with the curly hair, they want the straight hair. My grandfather used to always tease us too. He's, he would go out there on the beach and he would look around there and he would look at all the white folks out there on the beach trying to get tan. <laughs> He'd just laugh at that. He thought that was the funniest thing. He says, none of us are ever content with where we are. If, we want, if we're white, we want to get darker. If we have straight hair, we want curly hair. If we want curly hair, we have straight hair. They are products out there that if you feel your skin is too dark, you can lighten it up. Because no one's ever content with what they have. <laughs> we want something different. Dear Lord, be glad with the way God made you. God, God made you white, black, brown, light, dark, straight hair, curly hair, male feet. Don't worry about it. God made you the way He wanted to make you. And don't go changing it. Glory to God. <laughs> it's all right. Just be glad with who you are and don't try and become envious of what somebody else is because you're just fine. But anyway, she had curly, she had the, the straight hair and she wanted curly hair. So she went over to the hairdresser and she got a perm. Came on out. She was happy as anything because now she has curly hair where she had a four-year-old boy named Jack. And she came home, she had the curly hair and Jack saw her and his eyes got huge. Mom, your hair. And she's all proud because, you know, the son, four-year-old boy, noticed that the hair got changed. Says, yeah, I got a perm. How do you like it? And he just stood there stunned. And she said, well, I really like it. It's just so good. And he, he just said, Mom, have you seen it? <laughs> you know, we can be real happy with the thing we got until somebody else points out something different. 
Right now, she's all happy because she has what she wants. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. See, now we're glad. Now we're coming to God. Now we're praying right. <laughs> oh, Lord, no one is holy like you before. Oh, woe is me. How come I don't have any kids? Everybody else has kids. I don't have any kids. For there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, and those who stumble are girded with strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. Think she's got her eyes on more kids? The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and He has set the world upon them. And He will guard the feet of His saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For my strength, for by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces from heaven. He will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His king and exalt the horn of His anointed. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. How many of you all remember their names? They did not know the Lord. They were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. How good is it to have people serving in the temple and don't know the Lord? Now that's not unusual. I mean, we have stories today with people doing things that are supposed to be servants of the Lord. And you wonder, how can they do that? And be called a minister of the Lord. I don't know. But all through history, we've had people doing all kinds of nasty things in the name of God. And obviously, they don't know the Lord. So, it's no, no difference here. Verse 13, And the priest's custom with the people was that, they, that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it in the pan or kettle and cardon or pot and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give me meat for roasting to the Lord, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. See, God liked the fat, so they boil off the fat. God liked that, and then they could eat the other part of it. But they're not happy with that. And if the man said to him, They should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, No, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Sound like men of God? Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod. Now think about this. Samuel is in an atmosphere where the two uh, women in the house are fighting with each other. How many of you, if you were Samuel, would think getting out of that would be an all right thing? <laughs> this would be okay, get out of this thing. And then you come on over here and you got Hophni and Phineas. And this is going on in the temple. And you might think, dear Lord, is there no place I can grow up? <laughs> is, is there nothing going on? But anyway, he was there. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, the Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. 
Then they would go on to their home, and the Lord visited Hannah, so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did in all to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings with all the people. In other words, he goes up to them and goes down, Stop that. That's bad. You know, it's like the people, you ever see... I mean, it's sometimes it's, you know, the woman of the house and the, the man of the house, the man wants the big dog. They don't want a roof, roof. They want a roof. They get the big dog. And, they, and the, the man goes out to work and sometimes the woman is at home with the roof. And the dog does something bad and so what's the woman got to do? Stop that. That's bad. And what's the dog do? <laughs>, laughs. This is not going to change anything. And then what happens? Dad gets home. He did what? Come here! And the dog cowers. You know, dogs don't understand. Stop that! They don't understand it. It doesn't mean anything to them. What means something to them is something they can feel. You know, when I had a dog and I was raising it up, it wasn't a roof dog, but it was a good-sized dog. And... um uh, when, when it was disciplined, it knew it was disciplined. There was no questioning. There was no wondering. It knew who the top dog in the family was as far as the dog was concerned. I mean, Mom and Dad were obviously the top dog over me, but when the dog came, I was the top dog. And I learned about some things about what you've got to do to make yourself be the top dog. You know, the dog does not go out the door first. You do. The dog does not go up the steps first. You do. The dog does not pass you on the steps if it does try and pass you on the steps, you know what you do? Stop there. No, you know what you do? Kick it up against the wall. You will not go before me. Because that's how dogs treat each other. And that's what they understand. You don't have to hurt the dog. Don't advocate hurting the dog. But you can let the dog know, I mean business. You know, swap it with a hand is one thing. But you get a rolled up newspaper. And you whop that thing on there, you don't have to hit it nearly as hard. That sound just makes them cower. You've got to get into the language that the dog understands. The dog knows. Now, Eli's not dealing with these kids. He's, now stop that. That's bad. That's not, that's not changing these guys. They keep on going. They're doing, doing other. Now, I've, so I began to meditate on this. Why? Why would guys that are in the priest's office feel that they can come into the house of God and take the offering that belongs to God. How do they feel that they can, they can do some of the immoral things in the temple when God says you will not? So I began to think about this. You know what? They either have, were so caught, caught up in pride, our way is better. I don't like God's way. God's way stinks. I mean, we got to wait until it's cooked. No, I want it now. And then we say, you know what? I don't even want it boiled. I want, a, I want it raw so I can cook it the way I want to. I got a barbecue out back and I'm going to put it on there. And they began to come up with their own way of doing things. And it began to escalate to the point that they were, you know, hanging out with the women and doing the stuff there. And, and no regard to God. Because they had pride in themselves and were envious of what God had. God has that part. That's the good part. I want that part. I don't have that part, but I ought to get that part because I'm working over here. And they went out there and they took it. 
they got involved in pride and became envious or became envious and got pride one way or the other. But they even got to the point that they thought they were bigger than God. Because you don't come into God's house and do that sort of stuff <laughs> unless you think something about you being bigger than God. And they came on in there and they did that. Verse 29, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling? Well, let's go back. I think we skipped a, a verse here. Verse 27, Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest? to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me? See, even for Eli, he was more afraid of his sons than he was of God. To make yourselves fat with the best of the offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now, the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. So if God gave him the promise to begin with, saying, I'll make your house an enduring house, and you will stand before for me and your descendants after this, then at one point, Eli must have been ministering in the anointing in a good way. But then somehow got off. And now he's to the point God says, all right, I have to send a man of God because you won't even hear me yourself. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place despite all the good which God does for Israel, verse 32. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from the altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And other descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that... You, that uh, that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall both die. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before me anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, Please put me in one of the priestly positions and I may eat a piece of bread. So did Hophni and Phinehas have anything against anyone? How do you treat people like that and not have something against people? Which somewhere they had something against God and they were taking it out on his people. They had something against their father and were taking it out in the office. It was hindering them to the point that God says, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm not going to answer their prayer. I'm going to wipe them out. So they, we can see that this pride rose up in them. So they would rise up against God. They would rise up against God's people. Now, here's we need to find the cause of this. Why is it that pride causes a problem? Why does it cause us to have something against others? Well, if we look at it this way, what does pride come against? It comes against something very directly. It comes against humility. And in James chapter 4, verse 6, But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you get into the area of pride, what's God do? Resist you. If you are in the area of humbleness, He gives you grace. So the prayer that Jesus is talking about, when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, if it's because of pride, it's going to hinder your prayer because God resists you. He repeats this again in 1 Peter 5, 5. 
There, uh, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. See, now I'm in a place of resistance instead of grace. I'm in a place of resistance instead of grace. Romans 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to the base mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisp- whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteousness, the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Well, he mentions pride amongst a, a whole lot of other things in here. Envy. God resists this. Now, if you go back into the, in time, what was Satan's, what was Satan's fall? He got proud. I will rise up. I will ascend my throne. Five I wills of Satan. I will do this and I will do that and I will do this. Because he's all filled with who he is. Not so much about God is. When we fall into pride, we leave the image of our father God to follow after the father or former father, Satan. And we've been given a new image when we got born again. Keep that image conformed to the things of God. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Let us as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Does it say that they're a good one? Now, masters here, we can put in their employer. How many of you all have an employer who's not a good one? He counts. She counts. <laughs> count your own master or employer worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. That's the purpose of it. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. Pride people, or proud people, people who get into pride really know nothing. Think of it this way. Think of a Dallas Cowboy fan who's all proud about their team. Do they speak from facts? Do they, do they speak from... No, they don't care about the facts. They care about pride. Same thing for an Eagles fan. Eagles fan, you hear some of them talking. It's like, do you even know what you're talking about? You have no knowledge of what you speak. They're just proud. Oh, we're going to obliterate you. On the basis of what? Pride. Pride is based on ignorance. It's based on ignorance. That's what he says right, right here. He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. Proud people just start fussing about words. You start talking to a proud person, they're proud, and you start telling them, they go into God, they have this pride, and they start praying away. Wait, that's not in the Word. I don't care. I prayed this way all my life. My mama prayed this way. My dad prayed this way. 
I'm going to keep praying this way. Why? Because that's what I've... It's not based on anything. There's no knowledge there. And you can't talk to people about that, right? How many have ever had a proud relative who's mad at something that happened in the family? Is there any talking to them? Can you... Then just settle down on this thing. Why don't you... I mean, just take a look. No! <laughs> no, they're mad. I got reason to be mad. See, when you get into pride, you leave knowledge. You don't need understanding. And that's against the things of God. God wants you to have the knowledge of God and understanding. Proud people cannot get revelation from God because they can't process it. And God wants you to get revelation down in your spirit. He's going to give you revelation. But if you're a proud person, you can't receive it. And you'll scoff at it. Ah, that's, that's nothing. How many of you grew up in a church didn't preach that Jesus was the healer? I did. Grew up in a church where the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. Praying in tongues, evil, prophecy, word of knowledge, all out the window. We don't need any of that stuff. We just look at, you know, 12 different verses in Scripture and we stay with those. And when you got out of that, when someone, somehow you finally got out of that, and now you try and go back to some of those people that are caught up in that, and if you try and take them to the Word of God, what do they do? Oh, that's, no, that's no good. No, no. But it's in the Bible. What did Jesus do? He healed people. Ah, no. What did Peter do? What did Paul do? They healed people. Don't you see? It's in the Word. It's all through the Word. No, no, no. God has purpose for sickness. Ignorant people. Comes from pride. Useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth. Destitute of truth. Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Isn't that what our folks over, over there, Hophni and Phineas, did? From such, withdraw yourselves. What? See, we, st we stay in there and get frustrated because we keep trying to convince these people. You cannot talk people into believing God who are wrapped up in pride. They've got to let go of the pride. Because God resists the... So why are you working on them? <laughs> right? We're working on proud people and not understanding. Why is it not working? Why is it not helping? Go over to the people that are humble. To the people that are not proud. What did Jesus do when he ran into proud people? See ya. I'm going to go over here. These people aren't proud. I'm going to go in there and sit amongst the tax collectors and the, the publicans. Yeah, we're going to have dinner with them. The Pharisees are out there. Why are you eating dinner with those sinners? What's he say? Oh, I didn't realize they were sinners. Oh, man. Missed that. No, what's he say? Sick people need a doctor. That's the ones. Second Timothy chapter 3. I don't know if we can get into all this. I started to look at a couple of verses in this chapter and, and then added a few more and then not got to add a few more and then at, before long, it was the whole chapter. <laughs> I don't have time to get into the whole chapter to break it all down, but I want you to just see the, the progression here. But know this, that in the last days, are we in the last days? Perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of what? Themselves. What does that describe? A prideful person. Lovers of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. How many churches are out there have the form of godliness but deny its power? That's the last days. 
It was going on back then. It's going to go on now. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. Why are we still trying to work on the people that are proud? There's a whole lot of folks out there that are not proud. They're just ignorant. Help them. Turn them on to the things of God. Lay hands on them. You're trying to get religious people healed by laying hands on them, but they resist God. Jesus went to Capernaum and couldn't get people healed there because of their unbelief. Go out there to people who don't know enough to unbelieve. <laughs> Lay hands on them. <laughs> you'll have a much easier time. You'll be excited. Wow, I laid hands on this person and they got healed. Yeah, they weren't proud. They weren't in denial of the things of God. And you found it and you came out of there excited. Oh man, God used me. Of course He did. He's been wanting to all along. You just keep going after the wrong people. You're going after the proud people. What's God do with proud people? And what do you do? <laughs> Pursue them. We're pursuing the ones that God resists. <laughs> and what are we doing with the other ones? Remember, I'm getting off on this. <laughs> you remember the feast? They went out there and got all the, all the nice folks. Invited them out. And what did they all say? Ah, I'm busy. Ah, you know, I just got married. I bought some land. You know, I got some equipment. I got to go check it out. And what's the owner of the feast say? You know what? I want you to go out in the highways and byways. I want you to get the people who have no place to go. I want you to bring them on in. And they came on out to the people just wandering the highways. Hey, you got time for a dinner? dinner? Yeah! <laughs> Come on, let's go. We're going after the tough ones. Jesus said, quit it. Go after the other ones. Pursue them. God, I'll help you out. Where do we leave off? Verse 5. For, for of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Mm, does that not describe people? Now, as Janais and Jambres resisted Moses, we could have gotten into them too, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happens to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Got that? But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Rick Renner had a wonderful quote on this. In order to be a deceiver, you must first be deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood... You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. But the Word of God will not affect one who is so proud, who is so prideful. My way is right. It's not based on facts. It's based on what I feel, what I've done, what should be, what deserves to be mine. You know, you get over to those folks that those, those uh, Occupy people. I know this might offend some people, and probably nobody here, but other people outside. I, I, what a bunch of stupid people. <laughs> I mean, to sit around and wait for donations from people, from corporations, so that you can protest the corporation. 
as they sit on their iPhones, recording their video cams made by Sony. I mean, such hideously stupid people. But they are so prideful, you cannot talk to them. They're out there, well, yeah, people ought to pay for my college. I shouldn't have to pay for my college. I should have a job, too. When I get out of school, I should have a job. I can't find a job. I should have a job. People should give me a job. Yeah, I'm ready to hire you, sure. They wanted to get to clear out of one of the parks so they could clean it out. And they all felt like they won a victory. Oh, we didn't have to go! Okay. Sit around in a dirty park. It smells like all kinds of awful things. And be happy. You see, the Scripture's not going to help people out like that. You can go in there and enlighten the people. And tell them, you know what? It's the corporations that hire people. They're good. <laughs> Rich people hire poor people. They're good. They're not bad. It's good that we have rich people. Let's not chase them away. Rich people are good because I don't know any poor people that are hiring people. <laughs> I don't know any poor people that are investing so the businesses can grow. Who was it, Harry Reid, that came out with the incredibly smart statement? Oh, the wisdom is so in... Mm. The, the private sector is doing just fine. It's the public sector we have to worry about. <laughs> I mean, can you... And this, this guy is running our, one of the ones running our country. Are you kidding me? What pays for the public sector jobs? Private sector jobs. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we need to, we need to hire... Uh, public, uh, we need to buy our government people. Public ones. Not private ones. I'd say they don't need those. They're, they're doing fine. Such a, you cannot talk to people that are so full of pride that they're ignorant. So you know what? Just, all right, well, <laughs> can't help it here. We're going to go over here. Do just like Jesus did. Go over there to somebody else. And you'll find somebody who's completely ignorant of the things of God. And you know what? Help them out. Even if they smell a little bit. Even if their language isn't all the way cleaned up. Even if they don't know all the Christianese. So what? They're ready. Help them out. Let them know what the things of God are. Don't be prideful yourself. They're the ones that will receive. The prideful ones. No, I know what the Bible says. You're not, you're not going to be able to help them out. See, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction and righteousness. That the what? That the man of God <laughs> the man of God, or woman of God, he's using men generally there. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The man of God is one who's not prideful, but is humble. And when God gives him revelation and corrects him in an area, what's he say? I missed it. I missed it. That's God. Yep. All right, I'll fix that right now. Brother Hagin used to tell us when God would correct him on something, he would come out of there and says, you know what? It don't take days to get right. <laughs> It takes minutes. When God corrected him on a thing, he's out there on the road and wondering why he was so poor and things weren't working out and Nathan had enough money at home and God told him what it was in the Word of God. He got down on his knees. He made it right. All right, well, let's make it right. He said, it don't take long to get things right. It took me two minutes. <laughs> he got it right. And they went on. When God corrects you, glory to God, he thinks you're ready to receive it and receive it and correct it. Know that he loves you. Don't ever get into that thing. Oh, he must hate me. Look at what I'm doing. No, he loves you. That's why he told you. That's why he corrected you. I saw this quote. Pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. 
See, it is easy for us to think that our way is the best way. But that's not what we're here for. Resist falling into this. Resist falling into this way, as others have, and stay on the narrow way. We need to be in a place where we resist pride. When Jesus is talking about, when you pray, if you have anything against anyone, make it right. Do you know that when you are in prayer, that if you have anything against anyone, that you can make it right in front of no one? Having something against another has nothing to do with them. Has everything to do with you. Otherwise, Jesus would have said, well, you know, you need to leave. As far as you are concerned, you can forgive them. Now, we've ministered on forgiveness before. We often often told you, God does not expect us to forgive any differently than He does, does He? We're going to, He's the model. And He forgives people in the fact that He restores them when they what? When they come and they confess their sin. If people don't come and confess their sin or say, you know what, I blew it. I messed up on this. He is, God is not saying that you have to forgive them and restore them to a place. Because He doesn't do that. But as far as God is concerned, He stands before us. He says, as soon as you're ready, I'm here. I'm, as far as between me and you, I'm good. I can't wait for you to come back. I'm not in bitterness. I'm not in anger. I'm fine. I just want to get you back on, on track here. That's what you can do. Don't have anything against anyone. Because if you are in prayer and all of a sudden so-and-so comes to mind and you think, oh, no, fix it. Fix that. Then keep on going to prayer because that will hinder you. One of the, the first cause of what causes us to have anything against anyone is pride. There are two more to go. There are two more to go. Of the, of the other two, glory to God, this is easier. <laughs> the other two can be a little tougher. This is, we start off with the easy one. I was even asking you, I said, oh God, I don't want to start off with this one. This one's no fun. This one's easy. <laughs> the other ones are a little tougher. But this is where I was supposed to start off was on, the, on this one. So we started off with this one. Pride. Get it out. God resists the proud. Gives grace <laughs> to the humble. So I want you to keep this in mind. This is why we're praying for people here at the end. If you have anything against anyone and it's based on envy, pride, based on the fact that they have something that I want to have or I'm just, I'm, my, my way is right. I know my way is right and they're wrong and until they... If you have that going on, you know what? Just release it. Just let it go. Father God, I'm just going to release that. I'm just going to let that go. I'm not going to hang on to that. When I think about that, I'm not going to meditate. I'm not going to mull over this. I'm not going to feel that anymore. Nah, we're just going to. I'm just going to. I'm going to let the love of God come out of me to them. I'm not going to bottle it up anymore because of pride. I'm going to let that my love that's inside of me. God put His love on the inside of me, and I'm going to love those people no matter what they deserve or don't deserve. Because I know I didn't get what I deserved. <laughs> Glory to God. I got the love of God before I even loved you. Before I was even anything good. You love me. I'm going to do the same thing. And you can make that, that adjustment instantly. It don't take long. If you don't know that you have that with someone, 
then what you ought to do is go home and spend hours and labor in prayer. And, you know, cut yourself or, you know, just do show so penance before God. Wear sackcloth. Put some ashes on your head. And maybe God will divulge who it is. No. What's the Word of God tell us on that? Brethren, if our heart does not condemn us, we have peace with God. If you don't know that you have something against another, then guess what? You probably don't. Because if you did, you know about it. So if you're going along and God says, you got something against that one, I do? Let's fix that right now. Take care of it right then. And then go on. Don't take hours of praying and figuring it all out. Nope. You can get it right. You can get it right right now. And if you want to come to God and pray and ask God for things, guess what? He's ready. (laughs) He's ready. He cannot wait to get the answer to you. Most of us have already grown up and got to the point where either we had kids to give Christmas presents to or we had significant others, girlfriends, boyfriends, that we bought a present for and we could not wait to give them that present. What happens to us when we have bought a present and, we have given, and we're waiting for Christmas to come and we have that present? What happens to us on the inside? Oh, I want to get to that day. I want to see their face when I put this in their hand and they open it up. Oh, it's going to be so good. How much better is God? God says, oh, I've got some good gifts for you. Oh, I've got some good things for you. I, I just can't wait to give them to you. I can't wait to put it in your hands. Here you go. <laughs> he said, come on, get to be that day. Come on, make it to be today. Is it today? Come on, are you ready to believe? For 25 years, God tried to talk Abraham into believing him. Finally, it worked. He'd take him out and show him the sky and all the stars. He'd take him out and show him the sand. He'd go over the promise with him. Now, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And Abraham kept doubting. Kept doubting. And finally, Abraham got to a place where he says, You know what? I believe it. You're going to do it. Within a year, they had a baby. God cannot wait to give you the things that he has because he is a loving 